0: And we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. Well, for those listening on your favorite podcast platform, I'm holding a stage pipe in my hand, which can only mean one thing. If you deduce properly, we are talking about something that has to do with Victorian England. And if you came to that conclusion, you would be correct. Today, we are going to discuss Sherlock Holmes, both the canon and adaptations, by one of the world's leading experts in all things Holmes, Dr. Ashley Polisek. And I can't wait to get into this. You know, to, to, for research for this particular episode, I read several of the short stories, and they are as engaging and as, as exciting today as I imagine they were in the 1800s. So this was a fun ride. I want you to come along with me. So let's get right into this. Ashley, thank you so much for being on the show today. So you are a doctor of Sherlock Holmes adaptations. So you're Dr. Ashley Polise- Polisek. Am I saying that correctly? Polisek. Polisek. Dr. Mm-hmm. Ashley Polisek. The Doc Sherlock is basically <laughs> Do- what you, how you're known, right?
1: You know what? No one has ever called me that before. And I feel like it's really? an opportunity lost. Yeah. Well, let's keep. We got
0: it now. There's no, <laughs> nothing's lost. We have found something. Doc <laughs> Sherlock, that's how I've I've known you as. Uh, and you've kind of, you know, you've wrote this great book called Being Sherlock, uh, a Sherlockian stroll through the best Sherlock Holmes stories. Lots of Sherlock is involved in, in that title, uh, which is a very <laughs> unique name. When you look at history's unique names, you got Sherlock Holmes, You got Mm -hmm. Elvis Presley and Jesus Christ. Those are the top three, I think. (laughs) Right? Is that pretty close? Can you think of anyone else?
1: It's fair. I would say that you know there are probably a lot more names, but they fall to they're obscure people. You know, at Mm. this point, you can't name somebody Elvis without it being about (laughs) the Elvis, right? Exactly. Yeah. You can't name somebody Sherlock without it being about the Sherlock.
0: Yeah. Although people, you know, I would say there's a lot of people in Mexico get away with Jesus. So hey that, Zeus, one's, yeah. that one's kind of been picked up. So that one's not a, not a fair one. But you've got me reading a lot of Sherlock Holmes. And Good. As, a, as a kid, I was never really into it, Ashley. Can I call you Ashley? Mm-hmm. You want me to call Excellent. you Doc? No, no, no. Doc Ashley's Sherlock? fine.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, <laughs> what about Ash? Can I call you Ash? Can we get really, Absolute. f- really familiar? Absolutely. That's what my calls me. Okay. Yep. Um, well, Ash, uh, you know, you got me reading a lot of Sherlock Holmes. And I didn't really know a lot about him. Uh, I I didn't pick it up as a kid. I had several books, but I it never you know, I even had I had a choose your own adventure, uh a Sherlock Holmes Ooh. Choose Your Own Adventure book, which uh it's called The Murder at the Diogenesis Club or something like that.
1: The I Diogenes Club. Diogenes yeah.
0: Club, yes. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've had got a chance to to read those as a kid or as a nope. researcher.
1: No? Never heard of it. I mean really? Diogenes Club is is from the Conan Doyles canon, yeah, but yeah. I've not heard of the Choose Your Own Adventure stories. Oh, I'm sure oh, they've yeah, fun, Those are
0: those are fantastic. And I picked up a thing or two, Ashley, Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm going to try I'm going to try something here, if that's all right with you. (laughs) Excellent. So uh, I'm looking at you and you you exude a certain level of confidence. Okay, now, that's a type of confidence that can really only be gathered gained by mastering um, something physical, a sport, let's say. Right. I see you're wearing glasses. Now that's tricky because poor eyesight in sports don't normally go well. And I can see by the way your eyes kind of sit, one of them may be vision partially, maybe even fully blocked, which means stereoscopic vision is limited. Peripheral vision, no good. Now that's gonna be a problem when it comes to spherical projectiles, uh, like the kinds you find in most American sports, baseball, basketball, even an oblong ball uh, like a football. So it makes it tricky. So I'm thinking, you also have a name, uh, one of your handles has renaissance in it, I, I, hopefully I'm get I'm, some of these are, are clicking with you, uh, one of your handles has renaissance in it, so I feel like a connection to maybe something in that area, maybe archery, or possibly sword fighting, I would say, given a couple calculations, I'm guessing you're, what, 5354, five, so maybe Italian longsword, uh, I'm gonna guess you know, by deduction, this is purely elementary, it's simplicity in its, in its ultimate form, that you actually teach and know long swords uh, as a way to keep in shape uh, something to, to occupy your mind. How, how am I doing so far?
1: Amazing,
0: Hose. Is it? Is it? <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, it's a simple deduction. These are a couple tricks that I picked up. You know, uh, I'm known as the analytical mastermind. I'm not the world's greatest detective, but Sherlock Holmes did once refer to himself and the man with the twisted lip as the analytical reasoner. So I feel a certain level of kinship with him, you know. Hopefully that's coming through. Go. Hopefully that's coming through.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so tell me about
0: the sword fighting. I mean, this is something extraordinarily unique. As a matter of fact, if I when I search your name on YouTube, I found 20 videos on your sword fighting and nothing on Sherlock Holmes. So explain that to me, please.
1: <laughs> well, uh, you'll probably find a lot more in the audio world of my Sherlock Holmes stuff, but the sword fighting came about um, maybe about 10 years ago. Okay. I was staring down the barrel of Sort of turning 30, and I thought, I'm terrible at sports, mm-hmm. right? I am monocular. I only have vision in one eye. And right. if you throw a ball at me, it will hit me in the face. <laughs> so, uh, and I find things, I just find running boring. Some people love running. I just, mm-hmm. it just bores me to, pit, it's, to it's, pieces. It's the but worst, I thought, actually. I have to do something physical, mm-hmm. or I'm just going to become one with my sofa. And for all time. Um, And I had done sport fencing when I was in college and I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, So I looked up whether there might have been a sport fencing academy near me. And the first thing that came up on my Google results was Sword Carolina, which is a historical European martial arts school, HEMA school. Mm -hmm. And they had that magical statement Mm-hmm. Introductory lesson free. I, I thought, know. well
0: you know
1: <laughs> the worst that can happen is somebody hits me in the head with a sword, but it didn't cost me anything. You uh, that's
0: how people you know how many people have died by a hit to the head with a sword? <laughs> millions, well, we, we, I would <laughs> say, throughout history.
1: Millions. Millions.
0: That's the goal, <laughs> but, I think.
1: <laughs> you know. It was it was that or just be lazy and sad forever. Sure, so I sure. uh, I went it's and found out that It's this whole emerging art form. It speaks to the huge nerd in me because it's half sort of history lessons, right? We're trying to recreate a dead art, a dead martial art from, from manuscripts. Right. And, um, and then you pressure test them by, by sparring and potentially going to competitions. If that's your, if that's your bag. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just found that it was something I really enjoyed. So everybody needs a hobby. You know, some people That's do needlepoint. I sure. hit people
0: with swords. <laughs> that sounds right. Well, you know, I interviewed uh, Guy Windsor uh, on, on mm. an episode of a few months back. And, you know, he's the guy. And I think, you, you know, I, I listened to an episode, you an interview you did with him as well. And so you guys yes. have, you know, the that sword fighting is very unique. There's, It's a world <laughs> that kind of connects so many eclectic people, right? You know, yes. as he says, you know, they all think swords are cool. And a lot of people... A lot of people certainly do, and also I learned in that interview that you have a ninja gym membership. What, what's going on with that? That that sounds even better than swords.
1: <laughs> they complement each other really well. Um, really. So so um, the the gym here is called Motive School of Movement. They're popping up all over uh, the country, mm-hmm. um, largely I think as a as a result of the the popularity of the TV show. Ninja Warrior, American Ninja Warrior. Sure. Uh, and it's essentially, it's like obstacle courses for grown-ups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, you're doing things with your own body weight. You're trying to solve problems. It's it's one giant game of the floor is lava, but with okay. like a lot of really fun equipment.
0: Oh, that's cool. That sounds yeah. like a lot of fun, actually.
1: It's, it's enormous amounts of fun. It's hard and it's easy to hurt yourself. And the thing that I have learned from all of my hobbies is is that they all require really strong calluses on the hands, but none mm-hmm. of them in the same places. So, <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> just one so, big callus, just the whole yeah, hand is. Yeah, it's
1: hair—it's just a mess. Yeah. It's, a, it's a mess. Yeah.
0: Well, now, the original ninjas—if if my history serves me correctly, my knowledge is accurate—I believe they were assassins. So, do you practice murdering things, people, animals? Because um, <laughs> otherwise, it's not really a ninja gym, is it?
1: Well, I mean that's that's fair. I I do as little murdering as possible. Uh, and and I treat Invisible. sword fighting yeah, I treat sword fighting like sex, always okay. with an enthusiastic consenting partner. Got it. Okay. That's
0: that's all right. I imagine that that's probably the best way to handle both of those things. As little yes. murder as possible and always, you know, hit somebody who wants to be hit with a sword. I think those that's are That's right. Great advice for life, for sure. Uh, But, you you know, so I mentioned you have a Ph.D. in Sherlockology, uh, but you kind of got out of the education game, which is interesting because now you work for a playwright who's actually done an adaptation uh, of Sherlock Holmes. And I believe he also wrote the first draft of the Muppet movie, a world-renowned playwright. This is kind of an interesting switch. So uh, how did this kind of come about? And, And is that information correct? Because the Muppet movie might be one of the greatest movies
1: ever made. He did. He did write the first draft of the Muppet movie. Yes, he did. Um, so I uh, I spent most of my career teaching English at uh-huh. a technical college here in South Carolina and um, expected to be a college professor for my whole career. I didn't. I didn't um, sort of seek out a career change, uh-huh. but an opportunity arose that was, you know, too exciting to pass up. Uh, the The academia game is. Is really tough. It's very mm-hmm. hard to uh to kind of move up and to find really good positions. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh what I found was this sort of person came into my life. We started out just being, you know, we just met as as friends. In fact, we met at uh the um annual meeting of the Baker Street Irregulars, the Sherlock Holmes Society. Yes, yes, uh, where he had been invited to be uh, the distinguished speaker one year. I was mm-hmm. familiar with his plays because I'm a theater nerd. So okay. I've, you know, been involved with community theater and amateur theater a You're lot. You're like a
0: full spectrum nerd kind of.
1: I am. I'm nerd I'm nerd all the way down. Sure, yeah, right. For sure. <laughs> um and <laughs> uh because I have this background in adaptations, mm-hmm. studying adaptations and literary analysis and everything, once we met and started corresponding just because we had mutual interests in literature, mm-hmm. he started showing me early drafts of his works in progress, and we started okay. talking about those things, and it, it led to, well, maybe you could work for me part-time. And then after one semester of working for him part-time and teaching full-time, uh, something had to give, and mm-hmm. the answer was he wanted to hire me full-time. So now, basically, I do everything that allows him to write plays, which means... Sometimes I'm consulting on the work as he's writing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're working on a new production, we travel uh, to to go to rehearsals. Sure. So we were in uh, Cleveland for a lot of um, April and May working on his newest Sherlock Holmes play, which is called Moriarty. It just had its world premiere there. Oh, that's cool. Uh, we'll right. be, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, we'll be in London. Uh, we're currently in rehearsals for a West End uh, musical. So it's, I get to use all of my weird skills. My whole life, all of my career has always been just me going, yeah, that's a marketable skill, but ooh, this thing over here is right. really neat. So I'll do that instead. Yeah, And somebody, usually my mother saying, is that really practical? And I'll say, <laughs> eh, it'll work out. It's just fun. So yeah. I, I kind of always followed the fun stuff. And as a result, I have this very strange collection of skills that run from, you know, being a, a really good traveler and, and mm-hmm. somebody who puts, does logistics and business stuff pretty well, but somebody who also has all of these literary interests and, and, uh, you know, it's just in theater, you know, my background in, right. in theater as well. So it, it all just, Came out in the wash. I'm very lucky.
0: Yeah, you didn't mention. I mean, your sword fighting and and ninja skills. I mean, you're a triple threat. I mean, that's pretty serious business here, Uh, which I imagine that doesn't come in too handy
1: uh, in the. You know, you'd you'd think that yeah. but uh, but the the playwright his name is Ken Ludwig mm-hmm. uh, Ken does have a tendency to uh, sort of be working on plays in his head at all times which mm-hmm. means he gets distracted and sort of wanders into traffic so <laughs> there is a lot of like leaping out in front of cars and pulling him back to the curb so the ninja training does come in handy so you're like his Watson kind of.
0: <laughs> and you are a doctor. Yeah. You're like his, you his, his Dr. Watson. Well, so I, I want to talk about, you know, this exclusive club, but let's talk. We got to talk about Sherlock, how you got into Sherlock, because this is a to me, it's a pretty interesting story. Uh, and it's, you know, took up a, a very large chunk of your life. So how did you how did mm-hmm. you find this man and fall in love with him? Uh,
1: I was studying abroad mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Scotland, University of St Andrews in Scotland, mm-hmm. and um, very early on when I got there, I was only going to be there for one semester. And I got there and I started dating an English fellow, very mm-hmm. nice young man, mm-hmm. and uh, also a huge book nerd. Mm-hmm. And we decided that because we knew we had a limited window mm-hmm. uh, to to kind of be together, and uh, we decided to to exchange book lists so we could get to know each other faster.
0: <laughs> you, you could also hang out a lot.
1: <laughs> instead of that, make, but,
0: giving each other, like, work to do. Go to this do the by thing. yourself.
1: <laughs> this is crazy. Well, it's the, when you're not together, you read books that the other one likes, and then okay. you talk about them when you're together. Got it. You know, like I said, nerd all the yeah, way yeah, down, yeah. Daniel. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is nerd <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, Sherlock Holmes was, was uh, the assignment he gave me. So okay. I went to a, a bookstore, I, a used bookstore. I found a copy of the complete short stories, 56 mm-hmm. short stories, yeah. uh, for three pounds. I took it back to my dorm room. Uh, I happened to be rooming with um a girl who was very odd. we We never spoke. We lived in one <laughs> dorm room. Our beds were literally like four feet apart. We yeah. never said anything to each other. Whoa. so I read all of the Sherlock Holmes stories by flashlight under my
0: duvet. <laughs> Jeez. It's like you're 12. This is crazy. That's so funny. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, most people, if you talk to most Sherlockians, they say, oh, I was about 11, you know, and I'm like, I was 21. But, <laughs> uh, but I did it in the style of an 11-year-old.
0: Exactly. That's and, a, that's the important part. That's the
1: important part. <laughs> and um, when, I, when I went home again, I left uh, Scotland. I uh, was no longer dating the Englishman but I was uh, still in a committed relationship with Sherlock Holmes and have been ever
0: since. <laughs> yeah. You dumped him for Sherlock. That is, I mean, <laughs> I have to say that is a that is an interesting way. I mean, if you give, look, uh, this is a lesson for everyone listening. If you give someone a b- list of books to read to get to know you better, chances are it may not work out. They may fall in love with that main <laughs> character. Uh, no guarantees. So that's how you got into Sherlock. And I mean, you turn it into a, a doctor you're a doctor of mm-hmm. of Sherlock stuff adaptation specifically but and I want to get into those I want to get into the canon what Sherlock is but I want to talk about two groups that you're a part of because this Baker Street Irregulars this is kind of <laughs> kind of a crazy group I mean it is as close to you know uh, something you would find in a Sherlock and in, in Victorian England a shadowy you know group that studies Sherlock it's an exclusive club <laughs> They have to approach you, I think, by candlelight, wearing some kind of hooded velvet cloak. Uh, There's only 300 members worldwide at a time, I believe. Uh, And once you get in, they give you a nickname, kind of like a Top Gun call sign, you know, uh, that you get when you you come in. And so tell me, how did you get approached to join this club? I mean, this is to me, you know, burying the headline here. This seems to be one of the biggest hallmarks of your career.
1: So there are uh, nobody really knows how you become a Baker Street irregular, including (laughs) the Baker Street irregulars. Uh, But what you you generally do is one stand out in terms of some sort of scholarship. And I put scholarship in scare quotes. We're not talking about academic journals. We're talking about Sherlockian journals or papers at Sherlockian conferences. So we um, what about podcasts?
0: what if i uh or somewhere I have a yep. sherlock Holmes podcast could that happen
1: if you did it if you did it enough yeah. i was I was a member of a sherlock Holmes podcast, and several members of that podcast are now uh are now our regulars Interesting. on the backs of of that labor hmm. um so you contribute in some way to the the writings about the writings, right? You talk okay. about Sherlock Holmes. Yes. And then, <laughs> don't you roll your eyes.
0: <laughs> I didn't roll, I didn't roll, I they see that. They moved, they moved, I see, they didn't I saw roll. Them.
1: Uh, yeah, you made that face out loud. Um, the, <laughs> Busted. The other thing you do is uh, show that you are what they call clubbable. In other words, <laughs> you go and hang out with them and be good company. Gotta be uh, good Often hang. that involves, it evol- involves a lot of drinking usually. yeah, yeah. Um, And, uh, but you just do that until you get noticed by people. Mm -hmm. And then a call goes out to the current membership sometime in September, October, send us your recommendations for invitations. Mm -hmm. And so if they solicit invitations from, or they solicit recommendations from the membership, they all go to the head guy and he sifts through them and decides who gets an invitation to the annual dinner. And then the head guy. Yeah, his name he's called Wiggins. Like you said there's there are call signs. Yep. Uh and um then after a couple years of getting invited to the dinner, generally you will uh be invested as a member, though not always. Some people have been going to the dinner for years and not been invested. Some people went to the dinner for 10 years, never got invested and then stopped being invited to the dinner and you're you're not allowed to ask. There's no what? There's no mechanism for for uh for registering grievance you just
0: (laughs) this is crazy it's like joining the Illuminati for for Sherlock Holmes fans I mean this is it is a
1: bit it is a bit I don't know how much the Illuminati drink but uh it's it may be the Illuminati with a lot more scotch is probably
0: yeah uh, fair Wow, that is—I mean—that's like a, an episode in and of itself. That's super. I mean, <laughs> that's really interesting because I mean, so his name's Wiggins. I, is it Chief or Ralph that he's named after, or something? Because neither one of those are Wiggins, particularly good.
1: <laughs> Wiggins is the uh, the the named irregular from the Sherlock Holmes canon. Got so okay. all these little uh, street kids that uh, Holmes sends out to be his eyes and ears in London. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in one story, they all troop back in and leave a big mess because they all crowd into Baker Street. And he says, Wiggins, from now on, they report to you and you report to me. I can't have you tr- all trooping in here like this, <laughs> leaving mud everywhere. And So so because the organization is called the Baker Street Irregulars, yeah. the head of the Irregulars is this, this, is given the title Wiggins. Wiggins, you
0: know. all right, that's pretty But
1: cool. once you're invested, you're invested with some kind of title it's you it's a name of a story or a Mm -hmm. character or a place or a thing Mm -hmm. um and it's assigned to you you don't get to choose it yourself they pick something that they think reflects you in some way Mm
0: -hmm. well i mean you know my next next question is going to be even though i already know the answer what what's your call (laughs) sign and how'd you get it
1: mine is single stick Mm -hmm. and uh that is because it is the uh the martial art that we know that holmes practiced so he was an expert in um, a mixed martial art Victorian mixed martial art called Bartitsu, mm-hmm. though Conan Doyle calls it Baritsu in the stories just because he was a very poor copy editor of his own work. Right. Um, and also <laughs> single stick, which is uh, which is like a practice it became a game, but it's how you how you train um, soldiers in, in uh, swordsmanship. Okay
0: so. okay that, I mean that's that's pretty cool. I mean that's, a, that's a it's, great, a, it's,
1: it's a great investiture. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. that's is, that, is that investiture is that what you call a call sign?
1: Yes. Okay. That's, I'll go with call sign. That's fine.
0: Call sign's much cooler. Investiture. I don't know. So tell me sounds
1: about. A th- little, sounds a
0: little snobby. <laughs> a little bit. I don't think I'm going to be, you know, asked to join the Baker Street Irregulars anytime soon. Uh, or I, you know, I, I, or the Baker Street Babes. I mean, are these all attractive people? I mean, this is the podcast group I think you were talking about as well. I mean.
1: Yes. Uh, so it. I was not an original member of the Baker Street Babes, okay. um, I, so I don't have the full story on why that name was selected. Other mm-hmm. than it was originally a, a group of women, mm-hmm. uh, though I will say that it became less applicable as the 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 group of women includes um, got uglier non, non non-binary <laughs> okay, uh, non-binary members. So got it women, but inclusive. Got it. uh women and non binary.
0: What about men? Uh, or is it just Miss Andrist as Miss Andrist Club?
1: Yeah, no there are no men in the in the babes, though once you uh, are become on you come on the episode and you answer our introductory question, mm-hmm. everyone becomes an honorary Baker Street babe. Got it so okay. um, that's when we send you your, you know, pink underwear in the uh, in the
0: mail. That's cool. I have free pink underwear. I mean, you can't turn that down. <laughs> Anyone listening, if you get asked, that's coming. I mean, make sure you give them your address. Uh, so, so let's talk about Sherlock Holmes. I mean, we got to get into this at some point, right? Talking about talking about Sherlock. So the history of Sherlock's kind of interesting uh, because you know, Ar- Artie Doyle, uh, as I like to call him, he w- he wasn't always <laughs> Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which is a much better right. way to say it. Sir Artie's not free. Great. But, you know, he's born in 1859. So these are all taking all the stories kind of take place in some ways. He's kind of similar to love HP Lovecraft in a way like all of his stories take place in a very specific time with specific themes. You know, a set set of people, regulars, um, irregulars even. And, and and they were published in magazines. This is what I thought was so interesting is that his first stories were published in the 1880s in Strand Mag- magazine. Is that how you say? Strand. Strand Magazine. Yep. I'm a big Ravenloft fan. It's uh, a D&D <laughs> setting, and Strahd is one of the, the main characters. I always get that mixed up. Uh, so these are kind of, you know, this is a very interesting beginning that you think that these pieces of classic literature started as kind of, you know, proto-pulp, pulpy stories, right?
1: Yeah, it's all pop fiction. Yeah. It is. Um, it's very much linked to the history of a publishing and the emergence of of popular literature in the 19th century in britain mm-hmm. uh what it comes out of it's all this serialized fiction became mm-hmm. incredibly popular particularly in the se- second half of the 19th century mm-hmm. uh, largely because this is the first time we have um universal mandated education okay. so you you think about who's reading books in the 1800s mm-hmm. and it's a very small class of literate people, right? right who are yeah. highly educated, and therefore the writing is for them. What happens when you say, actually, everybody, regardless of your class, regardless of your income, regardless of your parents' jobs, you must stay in school and become educated up until the age of 12, which was the, the minimum mandated age. Right. Well, now you have people who can read, but mm-hmm. they read like 12-year-olds. And mm-hmm. what they want is they want this this kind of Easily consumable pulp fiction. The reason that we get the name pulp fiction, by the way, Mm. comes from the really cheap pulp Mm. that it was printed on. Right. Right. Because you buy it. It's super cheap. And then you throw it away. It was all meant to be disposable. But it's this is how you entertain kids who now have this. They now have a hunger. You have a new a reading populace, now Mm -hmm. you have to write stuff for them. So we get all this horror fiction, detective fiction, all this genre stuff Mm -hmm. starts to emerge to feed this new population of people who are willing to give you their money for your for your stuff. And so that's how Conan Doyle, you know, most of his writing he likes to he would have liked to think that his best writing was his long historical novels, uh, but his best his yeah. best work was all of his short stories. And the Sherlock Holmes stories are only a small fraction of that. I mean, he wrote all these gothic tales, these supernatural tales, mm-hmm. um, and they're all published in the, they in serial fiction. They're published in these these um magazines right <laughs> I, it's just, I
0: mean it, it's just such a weird thought also that you know I mean I loved young adult fiction when I was growing up I mean who who doesn't when you're 10 11 12 mm-hmm. all that it's just funny that that was basically everything there weren't you know these advanced novels unless you were an educational elite right I mean unless you were at universities I imagine
1: right well even things that we now think of as stuff that you read at university like how many how many Charles Dickens novels have you read we're, right you like you read one in school and you feel like it's a sl- and you maybe get to the end, or you maybe get to page 800 and go, holy shit, I'm only halfway through. Right. <laughs> um, but Dickens published serially too. So yeah. imagine if you read that novel three chapters at a time, and every third chapter ended with a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, what's going to happen to Oliver Twist next? Right. That's how they were originally meant to be consumed, and they're really entertaining that way. Yeah. And that's for that same reading public. So, I mean, there was you know fancy pants fiction but but the majority of material was really written for people who had the tastes of teenagers even if they were
0: adults (laughs) right which is and it's perfectly suited for today where every adult feels like just a a very grown-up teenager uh and and this is you know for the adaptation stuff that you do this to me you know i studied film television uh specifically television serialized storytelling has always been Mm -hmm. a favorite of mine and these are perfect for a television show you know all the short stories i mean you know he wrote a couple i mean his first two um home stories I believe were were novelettes, novellas, whatever you say. Yeah, they're that. novellas, yeah so mm-hmm. they were I like novelette that's kind of cute I think that's a cute, it's a cute. Name. Uh, but they were you know short shorter <laughs> novels that were bigger longer you know yep. more more going on but the short stories are really punchy and those are easy to read you know as you mentioned that they're you know one sitting and that's perfect mm-hmm. so same thing you know for a yeah. tv show you know half hour 45 minutes that, that's what you want want to watch uh, but let, so let's talk about the canon because some of the things especially when we get into adaptation what's so interesting is you have the canon which is just a a term for the official tales written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, Mm -hmm. And in it you've got, I'm going to quickly go through these, you've got Sherlock Holmes and what's cool about Sherlock is that in the stories he has specific traits which then in adaptations you know either get changed or adapted or accentuated or put in the background and so here's some of the things that I found about him, tell me if I'm missing anything. Uh, you All know, right. from his build, he feels I think he's got like an, a thin athletic build. He's uh, aloof in, in some ways. He's obsessed with weird stuff in society. He doesn't want to really be a part of normal society. Very focused on work. Never really distracted by uh, romance, women, anything like that. Uh, he realizes that details are extraordinarily important. And that's what he's hyper focused on details, which help him, uh, you know, solve these solve these crimes. Uh, he's a lot of drug use, I mean just a, a fascinating amount of drug use which I thought was crazy so much so that he's a self-proclaimed expert in cigar ashes, which uh, yes. that's that's bizarre master of disguises, he'll pop out in some of the most random places uh, you mentioned the mixed martial arts, single stick, I think he even talks about being a, a pugilist he might use the colloquial term boxing, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I refuse to, <laughs> he's very strong, he unbends a poker, uh, a fire poker uh and he has a brother named mycroft which which isn't super interesting uh he may come in later (laughs) on but um but essentially he has a brother so these are kind of these are kind of the traits of sherlock have i missed anything
1: that kind of gets used later on i think that that covers him mostly i mean he's hype it's the focus on work Mm -hmm. uh not wanting to be really part of society he uh, hates it with his whole bohemian soul, is what Watson says about him. Uh, and uh, yeah, he does. He does tend to. You, there, maybe one other thing that I think matters quite a lot, which is kind of the uh, the richer, more aristocratic, and more entitled his clients are, mm-hmm. the less he likes them. Okay. So he's he's very kind to you know the the. The poorer folks, and he's really snotty to the rich people who think that he they owe he owes them something. He's a man of the people, is what you. He's, he's a man of the people. Man of the people.
0: I also missed one. He's kind of his attitude is interesting because he kind of in some ways comes off like a pompous ass, but I can't tell if he's just <laughs> a misunderstood genius. You know, because the first couple things I was reading, you know, he's asking Watson, basically grilling him on, "Hey, I figured this thing out. Do you can you figure it out?" And Watson's like, oh, I kind of get it, but I don't get it all. How do you do it, how do you do it, Holmes? And he's like, oh, it's simplicity itself. It's like what a <laughs> jerky thing to say to somebody. Like it's <laughs> it's simple. It's the definition of simplicity, but you, simpleton, couldn't figure it out. You know, like things like that. Where I don't think he means to come off that way, but he, you know, he kind of does in the in the original text. Uh, so uh, yeah, he's
1: a bit rude. Yeah, a little bit.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think he means to be, me, but but that's like one of his defining characteristics. And then you got Watson, who's a doctor little bit portly he's kind of the everyman you know he's the he's married uh he's you know got a pretty normal existence he's the narrator for all these things so we're seeing everything through watson's eyes um you know uh he's not really action oriented but when he's given the opportunity he kind of jumps at those things you know he's he to me seems like he's the audience incarnate in a way is that pretty fair
1: so so he's us i would say I think he he is more he's more action oriented than you maybe give him credit for. Okay. We're used to seeing him played. Uh, in television and film by people who are older mm-hmm. and fatter. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that he's, um, he's not just a doctor, he's an army doctor. Right. So he's, when we meet him, he's just home from active duty in Afghanistan. Okay. And so he's, he's pretty fit. Um, he's, he's pretty robust mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's the one who will, you know, carries the revolver. He reaches for the gun and he's, and he's willing to throw himself in front of danger for homes. Um, we see him sort of step in front of people who are who are coming on too strong, right? Um, okay, f- and and fair being enough. a threat.
0: Fair enough. Okay, I may but he's it.
1: definitely us. Okay, he's definitely us. He's meant to have our level of intelligence as readers, so that when he's confused, we're confused. Got
0: it. Okay. Not that we're all supposed to be physicians, but that his understanding of the case and the casework is yep. like every man. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. Um, another character that comes up a lot in adaptations, and I thought this was interesting after reading um, the first story, which I think is um, a scandal in Bohemia, is Stella mm-hmm. Adler, who's a who's a, a a female. It's not really a protagonist; she's an antagonist. Mm. Um, but she, Irene Adler. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, why did I write Stella Adler? That's got to be another character. I wrote, it, I wrote it in my notes. It's Irene. Of course it's Irene. Irene Adler. And she's interesting for a lot of reasons in that she's the first woman that in the first story that really captures Holmes' attention kind of for very interesting reasons. It's not romantic, it's not that she's attractive, and I think she is both, I think she's attractive and rich. And it's not these Mm -hmm. types of things that were important at the time, but it's that she outsmarts him and that she's, her, she he's really attracted to her mind, which, you know, yes. uh, for for women everywhere, that's got to be just a win in the in the history books. Right. You know, wanting someone for their mind and not for their beautiful, rich exterior.
1: <laughs> yes. And she does get, um, you know, for all the reasons you mentioned, she has a really outsized role in adaptation yes. she's in one story and she's in <laughs> yeah. so many adaptations because yeah. she we we do like to view her as this kind of proto-feminist figure right mm-hmm. where she's she she can meet homes on his own ground she just puts herself in disguise and fools him mm-hmm. just like he did to her um and she outwits him in the end mm-hmm. um ultimately he fails and but her function in terms of the whole canon is doubly important because. It's the very first short story, Mm -hmm. yeah. And Holmes doesn't solve it; he gets beaten. Yeah. Now the fact that he gets beaten by a woman is extra fun, particularly if you're a female reader. Yeah. Uh, But it the fact that he doesn't he doesn't get there fast enough in the first case Mm -hmm. establishes for all readers for all time that you never can be certain he's going to solve it. And so every case becomes more interesting from that point on because he might fail because he failed the very first time. And so it, it, it's, uh, it makes all the stories better if you read them that way.
0: Yeah, and I really, I mean, I thought she was a really interesting character, right? I mean, and Mm -hmm. and I like her as as the strong female that can match wits with Sherlock, but it is interesting, you know, as we talk about adaptations, how she does that outsized role is really interesting. I think that's part of the Hollywood need for a romance story, which is a little annoying because it takes away if you put romance into it the fact that he's attracted to her for intellectual reasons to me is super interesting and you don't see that a lot and that's more intriguing to me that it being interesting than it being you know so so mundane and and predictable and cliche uh but it, but another another character that has i didn't realize who had an out you know an uh, uh just a gigantic role in adaptations but almost none in the canon and that's professor moriarty so he, mm-hmm. you know he's i think he only appears in like a couple of stories I think he's into he's mentioned in 5 others um, yep. you know, uh, basically he's the criminal mastermind to Holmes, uh, like the, the equal and opposite kind of to Holmes. And I think, you know, one thing Holmes says is he's brilliant, but bad genetics made him turn to crime, which is kind of an yes. interesting, interesting take on things. And he, it's a very
1: Victorian view of, of evil, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs>
0: yeah. But how did, how did he get that role of really, when you hear a Sherlock Holmes story in any sort of modern sense, he's the guy he's almost always going up against.
1: So this he, Moriarty first appears in the story, The Adventure of the Final Problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the reason that Conan Doyle wrote that story was because he wanted to kill Sherlock Holmes off because he was sick of writing Sherlock Holmes stories. <laughs> so Moriarty was invented as a plot device. Okay. And the story is sort of, written all back to front it's a very strange story because it begins with watson saying holmes has died let me tell you how it happened right yeah yeah right and then and then the whole story is sort of a weird mix of flashback and chase scenes watson never even meets moriarty in the entire canon watson never meets moriarty right it's in this story where Holmes goes watson my best friend who's lived with me for years and we've gone on all these cases together. I suppose you've never heard of my arch nemesis before. And <laughs> Watson goes, why no Holmes, I haven't. And Holmes goes, well, we I've been chasing him around forever. Yeah. He's done all these terrible things. And Watson goes, Oh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a strange way to write in a character. Yeah. And it really was just to get rid of Holmes. Um, but it's like Irene Adler, it's, it's a very tantalizing character, specifically because what Conan Doyle doesn't tell us. Mm-hmm. And Conan Doyle, pound for pound, is as good at character work as Dickens was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his descriptions of characters, they're so interesting they're good, and they're yeah. so specific. Mm-hmm. And the description of Moriarty as this um, kind of, washed out mathematics professor this genius who has yeah. turned his brilliant brain to crime yeah. and he's like a reptile and he's always moving his head side to side and he's mm-hmm. just creepy and um you know and and he kills sherlock holmes yeah. and remember that even though we as modern readers can immediately go and read the next story which is surprise i'm not really dead i've been oh hanging spoiler out alert oh whoa back.
0: whoa yeah. <laughs>
1: Whoa! <laughs> Spoiler, Spoiler alert for alert. the uh, 120-year-old story. I um, have read it. It's a first time but, for
0: you. First time, you know.
1: <laughs> you will wonder why he dies, and then the, the rest of your book is
0: still. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. Yeah, fair enough. Um,
1: but. Uh, you know, that gap, which for us is the turn of a page yeah. for the original audience was 10 years. And so they didn't have any idea uh, that he was coming back. Right. Conan Doyle didn't mean to bring him back. So Moriarty was the character that killed Sherlock Holmes. Got it. And then we have this resurrection, mm-hmm. right? He had, he becomes this kind of resurrected figure and goes on and there's a whole other half of the stories yet to be written. Yeah. But there's this. It becomes part of the myth, right? Yeah. It becomes it becomes this part of the the myth of Sherlock Holmes that he died and was resurrected, and that Professor Moriarty, his his dark shadow. Uh, is the one who did this and you always have this sense of uh, if I were that brilliant, would I be a Sherlock Holmes yeah. or would I be a Moriarty?
0: right? Well, and I think even one point Sherlock Holmes says that he that he himself would have made a great villain like he would have been a he does. yeah, he would have been a great villain and and that the final problem uh, is the starting point. For one of the weirdest adaptations of Sherlock Holmes of all time, which is Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century, (laughs) uh, which starts off with that where they you know, they tumble over into a waterfall. Uh, lo and mm-hmm. behold, they still have, you know, spoiler alert, but this is the conceit. And they bring him back. Uh, they bring Sherlock Holmes and they clone Professor Moriarty in the, in 2087 20, 20, or something like that. Uh, yeah. Very strange, very strange adaptation. Uh, so uh, I want to get to a couple of others really quickly. Um, uh, in your book, you mentioned, you kind of bring up Charles Augustus uh, Milverton, who mm-hmm. is this blackmailer who kind of has the upper class under, their thumb, and this is yeah. this to me is a really uh, interesting character because I would think a guy like that would be the type of person who would control the underground because if you can control the secrets of the elite, and as you mentioned, this is a you know way before social media just put ever had everyone put their dirty laundry right. out on display. So this was a big deal for people, <laughs> you know, knowing secrets and having those secrets, much, much like the Illuminati light club that you're in secrets are what they <laughs> pedal in. And that is where true power lies.
1: <laughs> You'll never know what they've got. On I me. won't. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I it's another one of Conan Doyle's really great characters, mm-hmm. I think, which is one of the reasons I, I chose that story for, for my collection. Um, But uh, Milverton was based on a real person. Actually, there was a real case uh, in the news about this person who moved in high society, but was he would pay. There was sort of a a network of servants who would come to him and uh, he would pay them for like the private correspondence that they would steal from employers or secrets that they overheard, whatever. Um, And you know, the, the question of whether that's a better villain than Moriarty, I think it is actually, because again, Moriarty was a plot device, yeah, right? Yeah. We don't actually know what Moriarty did. One of the things that adaptations frequently do is uh, they, they retrofit Moriarty into right. a whole bunch of the other cases that we know. Right, In fact, yeah. there's an entire <laughs> podcast that's devoted to exactly that exercise. <laughs> the whole podcast is about Moriarty and seeing how he can fit into all the other stories. Wow. That's niche. Um, so, That's to, super to, niche, by the way. It's niche. It's niche. Wow, <laughs> but it's a but it's a fun podcast. Yeah, I bet. Um, so, uh, so Milverton, I think, is a slimier individual, mm-hmm. and in fact, the way Holmes describes him is not dissimilar. Holmes has this whole we. There's this kind of, as you might imagine, with any fandom, everybody has all their inside jokes, right? Sure. But there's an inside joke that Holmes is um, hates snakes mm-hmm. because like he'll go, you know, he was a murderer. He was like a snake, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very Indiana Jones. Like the worst thing you can say about a person (laughs) is that he's snake-like. And he describes Milverton, I think it was actually Watson who described him like this, like standing uh, in the reptile house in the zoo and watching the snakes (laughs) move. He's like, that's how it made me feel, this slimy person. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so, so, Holmes has a particular hatred of blackmailers because, again, it, it it disrupts the social order, which is a very Victorian kind of thing to be afraid of. Right. Yeah. And, and so th- what's interesting
0: is all these characters, you know, and you even have Victorian London as a character, the Irregulars, mm-hmm. they all create, the, you know, templates, archetypes, caricatures for for later for later adaptations, which is interesting Mm -hmm. and in pop culture, you know, Sherlock is kind of, you know, I think you've mentioned he's the most portrayed literary character of all time, which is bananas to me. I didn't didn't realize that. And even his hat and spyglass become the symbol for investigations. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, it's really interesting. Uh, One of the things that I want to make this connection uh, because I think it's brilliant. And I want to make sure I fit it in during this podcast because I think Sherlock has really, after I was reading his stories and realized he came in the, you know, 1880s, he has really inspired several characters and TV shows that we know now. I would argue even the entire crime procedural genre is based on Sherlock Holmes. And there's lots of copycats of kind of an eccentric, brilliant lead investigator, right? So you've got, you know, mm-hmm. Columbo, the mentalist, even Monk, uh, Spock, Data, I think in some data from Star Trek or even inspired by him, mm-hmm. Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory in, in a lot of ways. Uh, and so, so there's lots of lots of inspiration, but I would even one of my favorite connections and I started putting this together as I was reading your stories and your, your notes and your comments. I would say that Batman might be one of the most, I don't know if this is said before. If it has been, I haven't stolen it from there. If it's never been said before, (laughs) this is true original genius. But I think Batman in a lot of ways, the entire world of Batman feels very much inspired by Sherlock, for example, Batman's known as the Dark Knight detective observation is really his key skill the joker is uh you know he is his equal and opposite in a lot of ways is he professor moriarty maybe and you know he's killed batman or at least has killed robin in the past spoiler alert uh then you've got alfred (laughs) who is like his watson uh you've got i would say that robin is more like the irregulars than watson so uh you've Mm -hmm. got that connection catwoman is Irene Adler, and again, I wrote Stella, I don't don't know why, Uh, (laughs) and you've got Charles Milverton, is more like the penguin, in a lot of ways, is this, you know, overlord. And Gotham City is it has its own unique character, just like Victorian London. So there's there's really a lot of connections. I think, you know, Bob Kane was inspired at, it, by the world of Sherlock to create something in the superhero world. How am I doing so far? Is this brilliant? Am I knocking you off your socks here? Do I belong I, in the Baker Street Irregulars? I, or are you gonna vouch for my- <laughs> I uh...
1: absolutely, I absolutely buy it. I mean, there's a reason, right, mm-hmm. that, DC is detective comics. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. Or, or um, and, uh, there are certainly, I think you can draw a direct line. Mm. I think that that's, I, that that's, that's absolutely fair. And you can also interpret them in similar ways. So to, to look at, um, the ways that, uh, in fact, there are academic studies mm. that are, that are really similar of the kind of matrix of Batman adaptations. And how Batman has been interpreted and and reused and kind of interestingly appears at similar times as um, new Sherlock Hmm. Holmes adaptations. Hmm. So you can go, well, what was the Batman of the 60s like? And you can (laughs) and you can uh, look at uh, Adam West and then you can look at what the Sherlock Holmes of the 60s was like and you have. Uh, several different adaptations that are in the same vein. In fact, there was not one. as campy.
0: There's no way it was as campy as this. I love the look. I grew not, up on the '60s Batman. I'm, no, I'm not knocking not, it, but I don't think Sherlock was that as goofy. Not campy,
1: but what I'll tell you to do is uh, look up the, um, the movie posters okay. for 1965. Um, a, a case of a study in study in case of evil. Oh, I've forgotten.
0: I will fi- I'll find. I'll with- find. I'm going to look it up. You'll
1: find yeah. it. 1965 Sherlock Holmes. It's Jack the Ripper, and the poster. He's in his Inverness cape, but it looks like a superhero cape, and it's got all the like bang, boom, onomatopoeic things around him, <laughs> yeah. and it's the world's first superhero is like the tagline. Yeah. So it goes backward and forward and then you go okay you get to 2009 and we're looking at Robert Downey Jr as Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes and we're looking at Christian Bale as Batman yep. and they both have this reimagined kind of gritty almost steampunky kind of
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: you know noir look and so they they are they live on parallel tracks in a lot of ways.
0: Wow, I didn't realize that. I will, say, you know, there was also in, in 1975. There's a book called Joker versus Sherlock Holmes, which is uh, very impressive. I'm sure you have one in your collection. If not, you should you should have <laughs> one. And and um, just for the record, for anyone listening, at you know, Ash does sound pretty normal. Uh, that nerd stuff, I wasn't really buying it. But the fact that you worked <laughs> in onomatopoeic into your uh, into the description, I mean, that kind of that's it. Uh, you've got your nerd card right there yeah 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 you, you got right. your cred yeah, your cred uh, so I want to talk when you talk about adaptations I know this is probably a cliched question to ask but it, it's a good jumping off point you've seen so many what are your favorite do you like the weird ones do you like the ones that are very um, uh, th- that stick very close to the original um, wh- which do you which do you prefer
1: my criteria is not whether it's a good Sherlock Holmes story so much as whether it's a good film or television program, okay. if that makes sense. Sure. So to me, I don't really care if it sticks closely to the text. Some do, and they're great, and some don't, and they're great. Some stick really closely to the text, and they're super boring. Yeah. Some stray really far away from the text, and they're too weird to make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's never really my criteria. Okay. I'm really... I, I, I sort of bristle at the, well, the, the book was better, mm-hmm. that kind of discourse, mm-hmm. because to me, you know, if you want the book, then you can go, go read the book. It still exists. Um, so what I, I like is something that is entertaining because it's really well written or well acted. Sure. So something like the Jer- Jeremy Brett television series from the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. um, that tends to be fairly close to the text. That's not the reason I really like it. I really like it because Jeremy Brett is a great Sherlock Holmes and it's a beautiful adaptation. Mm-hmm. And also, I think, as you said in near the beginning, because Sherlock Holmes was successful in short stories, mm-hmm. tends to suit better television adaptations yeah. than film yeah. because it's really hard to sustain it for length. Yeah. Um, but then I also like things that, that sort of... Sh- are quite far from the text or create original stories. So murder by decree, 1979 with Christopher Plummer yeah. It's another Sherlock Holmes, be Jack the river. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's, it's such a good film and it's so not Conan Doyle and it does not matter. Um, the private life of Sherlock Holmes, 1970, mm-hmm. uh, really not Conan Doyle, but m- one of the best Sherlock Holmes adaptations ever made. Interesting. Um, You know, there's a whole there's a whole separate fandom that has emerged around the BBC show with Benedict Cumberbatch and Mm -hmm. and Martin Freeman. Um, And in some cases, there's an overlap between kind of traditional Sherlockiana and the fans of Sherlock. And in some cases, people are all over Sherlock and they never want to read the original canon. And that's fine, too. You know, I think there are a million ways to be a fan of anything. You just figure out what you enjoy. Let people let people enjoy things. Uh,
0: I agree. Look, there's nothing I want more than to let people enjoy things, and I really enjoyed you saying Sherlockiana. What what is that a drink? Yeah. Uh, what what is that? What,
1: <laughs> it should be. What is that? Uh, Sherlockiana is the 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 sort of um, collective term for anything to do with Sherlock Holmes. Got it. So um, it might be adaptations. It might be pastiches. So new written texts. Fan fiction is part of Sherlockiana. People selling deerstalker house hats, people <laughs> buying pipes for a good visual gag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't know um,
0: anything about that. What could you possibly be <laughs> talking about? <laughs> what do you what mean? Do you mean? Uh, uh, you wow. know,
1: I mean, there are people who collect uh, things that have that are that are so interesting and tangent. Sherlockian art. Mm-hmm. So just just art or um movie posters or costumes screen worn costumes there are people who are collectors of that you know all of that is Sherlockian so it's
0: like a collective noun like a murder of crows or unkindness of ravens and things like that right
1: yes wow yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: That is, um, I did not know that. That's great. Uh, <laughs> I, I, w- I want to jump off what you said there because as the master of film and television, I don't know if you're familiar with my work on F Triple G B T, where I flex that muscle pretty often. <laughs> uh, I like to look at television film a- a- and do a nice an- analysis on it. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I think, it's not so much, th- do I like the book better? Does it make a good movie? One of the things that I think Irritated me while watching a bunch of movies. I think I've watched more movies for this interview than I think I I have. (laughs) Uh, I watched a lot, including Sherlock Holmes 2009, the the one with uh, Robert Downey Jr. And I think that that's Uh a perfect example of what I don't like in in an adaptation, because it really got the Hollywood treatment. You know, and what I mean by that is, you know, what I love about the original canon uh, is that. Things are really interesting, new, unique, and nothing is forced. And in Hollywood movies, so much is like crammed into the formula to make sure it's successful Mm -hmm. because everyone's got money on the line. But, you know, the originals don't really have any romantic interest for Sherlock at at all. I like that. And, you know, they cram in Irene. uh, the, The TV show Elementary turns Watson into a love interest. You know, I mean... That gets really complicated really fast. You know, if, you know, he, if, if Sherlock was into Watson, eventually they're going to hook up and it's going to ruin the series, right? Or, or they're going to move in and then they become a team. I, I, don't, I They become like a, a husband and wife or husband and husband team. I don't know. I, I don't like that very much. The romantic stuff. Uh, the original doesn't really have him as a, with a nemesis. The nemesis is really crime. The nemesis is the under, the, the, you know, proto-noir version of Victorian London, you know. Uh, he doesn't really have a mm-hmm. guy that he's going after, a person that, that he's trying to foil. And, you know, they're, the originals are adventurous, but there isn't a lot of action in them in that, you know, you mentioned Sherlock is as you know, having all of these skills as a fighter, but they're very much downplayed. He kind of only breaks them out when he needs to. When things get a little are hairy, he-, he can handle himself and get out of the situation. He's not going to beat up the bar um but he can probably get help you get out of the situation and rescue everybody right he's got just the Mm -hmm. amount of martial arts you need to be to be (laughs) ba but not go around having to kick the crap out of each other all of that stuff that i don't like is in this movie you know they turn it's basically Mm -hmm. robert downey jr as iron it's basically Tony Stark as Sherlock Holmes kicking the crap out of everybody. That's exactly
1: what it was designed to be. It was exa- it was designed to be that. And in in fact, if you look at the timeline of when the Iron Man films were announced, mm-hmm. shot, and then announced the sequel and shot, you can see how that is laid into the popularity of those films. Got it. Um, so it, it is a superhero movie. That's its genre. It really is right. like a it's meant to be that kind of a blockbuster film. And I totally get all that. Um, You know, you can, the, the good thing about the Holmes adaptation is that there's so many of them that you can generally find one. Um, There are some people are like, I've never found one that I like. I'm like, well, what what do you like? Is that's the
0: question you have to ask those types of people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. You only like only the stories are pure. Well, then you can go read the stories. That's fine. (laughs) Um, But There are a lot of, there are some boring people as well, but, but I totally get where you're coming from. The, the thing that irritates me in an adaptation where I, that, that starts to really put me off is when the cases all become about Holmes rather than Mm -hmm. clients coming to him and him solving something external when it becomes he's being, you know, the person is trying to get to him. That's what happened to BBC Sherlock. So like the first series, I think the first series was really good. The second series was pretty good. And then it went downhill because all the cases came, became about him Mm -hmm. in films that often happens the whole nemesis thing because it's about upping the stakes right right? so it can't just be you can't make a whole film these days with that kind of blockbuster money and it be about saving one person from um you know reputational ruin. Mm-hmm. It has to be that somebody's trying to blow up the world. <laughs> and I do also find that less interesting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It can't always be about blowing up right. the world. It can sometimes be about blowing up the yeah. world.
0: It has to be about the, the getting the information about some elite who's about to blow up the world and then blackmailing him for letting everyone know that he's about to blow up the world. That's more like original, OG <laughs> Sherlock Holmes stuff. Uh, right. but I also... In a lot of ways, you know, it's funny. I am strangely a purist about things, but also Mm -hmm. I really like super strange adaptations about things. I don't I can't really reconcile that. Right. So like, for example, I really like Spider-Man. I can't stand Mm -hmm. Into the Spider-Verse. You know, I feel like just make a different superhero character. What do you what are you doing? Like, like it, <laughs> to me, that's that sh- shatters my brain. And yet when I look at Sherlock Holmes, I think like The Great Mouse Detective is a really fun, oh, it's, it's a, a really film. fun movie. Right. And it's it's strangely yeah. it's strangely faithful to the. The ideas of the original, you know, for a cartoon, I think, Um, but also, you know, really a strange take. And I think arguably one of the most inventive I know you've talked about this before, but without a clue is a really great inventive take on Sherlock Holmes, Mm -hmm. which essentially makes Watson. He's the smart one, but he's also in a lot of ways. He's Conan Doyle, right? Like he's the guy who's written Sherlock. So it's basically as if Conan Doyle played a guy named Watson who hired an actor yeah. to play Sherlock, this character he created. It there's a lot of layers to, to that movie, which, you know, and not and yes. including the theme of people don't care about the writer. They only care about the actor. They only want to see the front facing person, you know, which which I've mm-hmm. always known being an entertainment. I really like this movie. I don't know how you feel about all the different things going on. I love or, it. So what's your favorite part of that movie?
1: I I think I mean Watson's increasing irritation, <laughs> which as you say really mirrors of, I mean remember, yeah, Conan yes. Doyle was like, I hate this so much, I'm just gonna kill him off. I don't care if he's making me right. money. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then having to turn around and, and Amazing Holmes, you know, oh my god, this guy. You yeah, know yeah. it's the the comedy is so good. Yeah there. Yeah. And I think maybe what you're reacting to is, is kind of a, a fundamental thing about adaptations, which is the question of why, why adapt the same text, yeah, right? right? Why do we need a new Sherlock Holmes? And my response is, well, if you can say something interesting, yeah. if you can take this character that we recognize and put him into a situation or a context or something that makes us think about it or us in a different yeah. way, great. But if you're just making it and you're not going to say anything interesting, Mm -hmm. you know, you can you can make a zillion Spider-Man movies. And if you're not saying something interesting about us or Spider-Man, then do something else.
0: Yeah. 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 That makes sense. And I think without a clue does all of those things. It says something very different, Uh, including one of my favorite lines is when Michael Caine, who's playing Sherlock who is just an actor and he jumps down and he, mm-hmm. he grabs a sword out of a container uh, and says, a buffoon, am I? And then opens up an umbrella. Uh, that is <laughs> one of the funny, I laughed out loud several times at that. That was, he's so, Michael Caine's really good.
1: He's brilliant. Uh, yeah,
0: he, he, he's fantastic. Uh, one of the last things I want to talk about is also something very new. And this, you know, it's funny. I, you would think that this show would hit with me. It's got all the things I really like. I can't put my finger on why I don't particularly like it, but I do understand that it's doing a lot of cool new things. And that's The Irregulars, which is a show that's on Netflix right now. And it's mm. centered on, you know, this this cast of street rats can I say street rats uh, I think that's from Aladdin Um Street misfits yeah. um, there's the street kids that, that help out Watson and Holmes urchins urchins <laughs> <Young> <laughs> Urchin. <laughs> sure I'm sure there's some word I don't want to get canceled for calling them street rats. I'm a double down they're street rats oh, come on come <laughs> after me uh, but it's it's interesting because they also a lot of the Sherlock Holmes stories have supernatural elements yeah. But like Scooby-Doo, he always figures out that there is no supernatural source behind it. Spoiler yeah. alert again. Uh, but in this movie, or in this TV show, everything's supernatural. I mean, right from the get-go. And Sherlock Holmes and Watson are background characters. And I would argue they're way more interesting as background characters and totally different from the text. I like them. I don't, I don't know. What did you think about this before I say too much about it? What, what do you think about this show?
1: I'm not keen on anything that throws in the supernatural with Sherlock Holmes. Okay. I mean, there, okay. you know, I, I get it. It's been, it's been done a, a lot um, okay. because they're two popular genres and I can get why, why you would want to overlap them. But okay. to me, uh, like, I, I find, I find it to be sort of to undermine what Sherlock Holmes is really about, which is the the order and and rational. I mean, he specifically says, uh, this world is big enough for us. No ghosts need apply. And as soon as you have ghosts applying, it's not Sherlock Holmes anymore to me. Now, again, I I don't care what people enjoy. By all means, go go watch it if you want to watch it. But Mm -hmm. I don't want to watch it.
0: (laughs) No, I think that that's fair.
1: Well, because the key to him is, is noticing
0: things in life uh, and deducing the reality behind it. Right, and if you're right. dealing with stuff that's supernatural that doesn't have a basis in reality, how could you possibly deduce? It's, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, counter, it's totally counter to what Holmes is. I will yeah. say the thing I do like about it is it has this kind of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead kind of vibe where you're looking, except in the opposite way, because that's looking at two background characters and making them the front, but this right. is taking two the main characters and putting them in the background. Mm-hmm. But you know Watson's kind of a jerk in the Irregulars, you know, in in kind of a strange way, and he and Holmes have something going on, and I can't tell if Holmes is like a drug addict or a lunatic. Uh, I really like their sh- that shadowy <laughs> uh, that that connection is really cool to me.
1: But could you? Walk- Watch them. Could you watch them doing that shtick if they were the main thing about it? Or does that only work as a background shtick?
0: I really like it as a background shtick. I like it as something that's mysterious because Mm -hmm. there's so much in Sherlock Holmes that you don't know. I really like mysteries that I can't figure out. Like right now I'm hooked on this TV show called From, and I like it so much because I don't know what's happening. I can't (laughs) tell. And because you know, as, as I've shown earlier, my deduction skills are off the charts. I'm known <laughs> as the analytical mastermind. Absolutely. I have an advanced degree in television, so it's hard to surprise me. <laughs> and boy, Ash, do I love being surprised. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's the trick with me. And that surprised me. And I really liked it. That's the trick, I think, with me.
1: Hmm. That's fair. That's fair. I don't,
0: I don't know if that does anything. For, I don't know if that answers your question or not.
1: I mean, then you you'd think that if that was it, then the supernatural stuff would really appeal to you because you can't get ahead of homes and figuring out you know what thing is going on really because it's a made up thing that doesn't exist.
0: I like the show Supernatural.
1: Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I
0: don't like it, I, and I love supernatural stuff. But you know that, that the, like the supernatural
1: world is the supernatural world, right? Yes. We take we 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 accept the conceit of that world from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and there's a huge overlap between. The supernatural fandom and the sherlock fandom by the way that's they're, they're they tend to, to overlap a lot yeah. um, but we've accepted the conceit of all the supernatural stuff in that program from the beginning mm-hmm. when we mm-hmm. see sherlock holmes we expect uh we expect a world that can be understood in a rational way and yes. when that's taken away from us i think it it it, it i it wrong foots me anyway
0: I think I think it wrong foots me as well. I think that that's perfect, <laughs> perfectly said. I, I want when I see Sherlock Holmes, I want Scooby Doo with less rubber masks on the bad guys. That's that's what I really want. You know, rational solving of a crime without supernatural elements. Um, But that's me. But as you said, the world is full of people who can enjoy any iteration of Sherlock Holmes and Mm -hmm. you are a master of all of the adaptations. So if people (laughs) want to find you, uh, where can they do that? Where can they get your book? Where can they get in touch with you on social media? How do they do it?
1: Uh, The book is available through um, any bookseller. You can certainly get it on Amazon. If you just put in my name or you put in being Sherlock, it'll come up. Uh, and the best way to uh, find me on social media, I'm most active on Twitter. It's at Sherlock PhD. Easy to remember.
0: Now, what's funny about that is you have the PhD. You just didn't put the doc in there. I know. It could have been Sherlock doc. Doc Sherlock, as I've given you. And now I've called could, in my in our little secret society, you're Doc Sherlock. Okay. You could, you, it was right there. It was right there, initially.
1: I know. There, I, know. Oh, I, uh, I missed the trick.
0: Swing and, a, swing and a miss, it's okay. Swinging a miss. It's, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, and if you want to get this show, you can find our websites fascinatingnouns.com. And, of course, we're on social media, at Fascinating Noun on Twitter, at Fascinating Nouns on Facebook. And if you want to watch, the, the podcast is available on all podcast platforms. But if you want to watch, that's the key here. You can check out uh, the much maligned by Ashley uh, visual gag of me holding a... <laughs> A, a, a pipe which I thought was absolutely brilliant but check that out youtube.com forward slash Daniel J. Glenn uh, Ashley this has been so much fun and I have to thank you for introducing me to reintroducing me to Sherlock and uh, it, I really like the short stories I thought they were a lot of fun I really like the characters and I agree Sir Arthur Conan Doyle really puts together quite a, a Sherlockian universe um, what did you is it Sherlockia what is the collective no, now and
1: Sherlockiana. again Sherlockiana
0: Sherlockiana. I I enjoy Sherlockiana.
1: There we go. Uh, And
0: thank you. I I owe you to that. So I owe you a thank you for that. So uh, thank you for that and everything that you do.
1: Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn, the show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel G. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode you're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, and we even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is, once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. Speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of FascinatingNouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.